I'm going to be using this mic, obviously, Josh. I did not grab the lapel. So it's good to see everybody this morning. I love that song, We Won't Be Quiet. Wow. I came into Sunday school this morning and everybody was sitting there really quiet. And I forget who it was that said, it looks like there's a turkey hangover going on. So I'm hopeful that we won't have a turkey hangover in here this morning and that somehow I can keep you all engaged and listening to what we have to share this morning. Before we get started, though, I have a serious question. It's something that I've been wondering for a while, and I'm going to ask it. And don't shout out the answer, please. Come up to me afterwards and talk to me if you feel led to do so. It's an important question. And I'm going to use the pulpit to be able to ask it to everyone at one time. Do these stripes make me look fat? (laughs) Hold your answer, please. (sighs) It's been a long time since I've had the opportunity uh, to stand up here and address you folks and be able to Uh, deliver a message, and I appreciate the deacons asking me to do so today. Uh, I'll give you a warning in advance. My legs are not what they should be, so pretty soon I may wind up on this stool behind me, but you'll still hear me, I promise. We're going to talk today about persecution, prayer, and power. I think it's a timely message. I've been spending an awful lot of time in Sunday school class, along with our Wednesday night Bible study, going through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see persecution taking place in the early church. And some of the points I want to make this morning is that persecution has never changed. It's never gone away. It's been here since the day that the church began. We've experienced it throughout the centuries, and we experience it today. Regardless of the political climate, regardless of uh, what's happening socially, regardless of anything, there's always going to be persecution with the church and to Christians. Jesus promised it. God uses it to refine us. And so we're going to spend some time this morning, and I I hope you can, can follow along with me, because we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture but I'll try to break it up and break it down and unpack it and talk about it and see if we can get what God has for us to gain from it. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather here this morning. Lord, we are grateful that we live in a country where we still can take advantage of certain freedoms that allow us to worship you the way that we are called to. Father, we are grateful, so grateful, that we can come here this morning, we can fellowship with one another, we can openly and freely talk about you. Lord, we can preach your word. We can can come to you in prayer, and we can do it without fear that we'll be stopped. Lord, I know that the landscape is changing daily and that there's reasons to fear that these freedoms may not always be here for us. 
But Father, allow us to take advantage of them now. Allow us to come to you for the power that we need to take advantage of them. Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll allow me to speak with authority. Allow me to speak in such a way that your message will be clear as we open up your word and read through it. Father, may your presence be felt here this morning. And may hearts be changed from the message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to, I'm going to pull this down here. We'll make this work. Let me set the stage for you. In the book of Acts, which is literally an account of the Acts of the Apostles, the things that they did in establishing the early church. The day of Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles, and they receive a power. And a lot of things have taken place after that. Signs and wonders, miracles have occurred. But one in particular, at the gate called Beautiful, they have healed a beggar man who has been lame since birth. Now he's 40 years old. This is a man that everyone knows. This is a man that everyone has seen. This is a man that day after day, his family has carried him to the gate, sat him in place so that he can beg for money from the people who are coming and going in and out of the temple. It's well known that he's not able to walk. And Peter and John have just healed him in the name of Jesus. This man now is well. He's walking. He's doing everything he could not do before. And everyone is absolutely amazed and all the attention has been brought to the apostles. And it gives them the opportunity to spread the gospel effectively. It gives them an opportunity to go out and start talking to people. And that miracle has drawn attention. The miracle didn't save people, but God's word is at work saving people. And so we pick up in the book of Acts at this point where Peter and John have been out preaching to people in the streets. And the council is not happy. So let's go to Acts chapter 4 and start reading through all of the verses here. We're going to begin with, with verse 1. And the scripture tells us in, in verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now pay attention to this for a moment. It says that they were preaching in Jesus, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And the Sadducees made up the majority of the council. And if you look at the very last verse, it says, many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000? Well, that's a threat. 
Because if you're the ruling power, you're the majority, you don't want to lose your power. We know how that works. That hasn't changed. And so you find that these men are out preaching. These men have performed miracles. And you find that there are 5,000 men. And let's take that literally. That's men. That's not a total account of the number of believers. That's actually males. 5,000 men have come to believe what they are preaching. So that is a movement that goes against what you believe. That's a movement that goes against what you accept. And you're in power and now you have a problem. And so you need to do something about it. And so what they chose to do was to arrest the two apostles and bring them in. And they have to hold them because they don't meet at night. The council meets in the morning. Go on to verse 8. As the council is, is talking with and asking them what has taken place, we find Peter's response. Bible tells us, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to this crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter makes it very clear that this was done in the name of Jesus. Peter makes it very clear to them that it was this Jesus whom you crucified. Because remember, this council that they are standing before, now don't picture this as they are standing before a table of eight or ten people. Because the, the accounts that I read tells me that the, the council was made up of about 71 people. So this is a lot of folks that they're standing in front of. And Peter uses this opportunity to say, hey, this is great. I get to tell everybody about Jesus. You can persecute me. You can ask me. You can talk to me about what you want to talk to me about. But I'm going to use every possible opportunity to let everybody know who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to take this and broadcast it to the council, and to everybody who will listen. So he makes it very clear that it is Jesus by whom this man has been healed. Verse 11, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At this point, Peter has witnessed to the council. This is their opportunity to repent. This is their opportunity to accept Christ. But let's get one thing straight. The council's not interested in determining the truth. You see, if they're bringing them before the council, the council is interested in trying to figure out, to come up with a reason to get rid of them, to stop them from preaching to run them out. They don't want to know about the truth. They just want to see if they can come up with a reason to get these men out of town and stop this message and stop this Christianity from spreading. I want you to notice in the previous verses, 
It mentioned that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. We also mentioned in the introduction here that the Holy Spirit had come upon the apostles. We find throughout the book of Acts this mentioning of being filled with the Holy Spirit frequently. And when the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it literally means being controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you really want to think of it in terms of what does that mean, the Holy Spirit never leaves us once we begin to believe on Christ. Once we have come to a saving level of faith, the Holy Spirit stays, stays with us all the time. It's our power. But when we literally tap into that power and allow it to control us, that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find that Peter is doing here, and he has the words to speak, he has the courage to speak them. And he makes it very clear that there is no other, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now when, we, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they then knew who these men were. In verse 14, it tells us, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. In verse 18, so they called them after they had they sent them out. They called them back in and they, they say to them, so they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. So we, we skipped a bit there. But essentially, they sent the apostles out, had a discussion, and really couldn't come up with anything to do. Because here's this man that they have healed, standing there. There's no question he's healed. There's no question that for 40 years he couldn't walk. These men come in and you say, what power did you do this by? They say, Jesus Christ, what argument do you have? You have nothing. So they come to the conclusion, we're just going to warn them, tell them to stop doing what they're doing, and send them on their way. But note what Peter and John's response is. Peter and John responds to say that we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, I want you to notice how cordial they are. I want you to notice that these early Christians facing persecution, these early Christians perhaps facing beating, facing something even worse, are kind yet truthful. They don't hesitate to say exactly what they know they're supposed to say. They don't waver in their beliefs. They stay true to the word of God. They stay true to the gospel message. And they just lay it out before them. And when they are told that they can no longer preach the gospel, they say, well, basically, thank you for the warning. But it is God who we will serve. We are called to preach the gospel message, and we cannot help but preach and tell what we have seen and heard. So even though they're defiant, they're still cordial in their demeanor while facing the persecution that's come upon them by the council. I want to look at something that, uh, yes, I'm, this is a quote from John Stott. Um, 
uh, while LD was here, he he got me reading John Stott, and so I'm <laughs> I'm using him this morning. Uh, John Stott talks about persecution. He says, how did Jesus expect his disciples to react under persecution? In Matthew 5, 12, he said, rejoice and be glad. We are not to retaliate like an unbeliever, nor sulk like a child, nor lick our wound in self-pity like a dog, nor just grin and bear it like a stoic. Still less, pretend we enjoy it like a masochist. What then? We are to rejoice as a Christian should and even leap for joy. Can you imagine leaping for joy in in this current climate, current political, current social climate when we are persecuted? Can you imagine taking the attitude that the believers and the apostles took later on in the book of Acts when they say that they they found it a, 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 a blessing to be able to suffer for Christ? That's the attitude that the Bible tells us as believers to take when we face persecution from the government, when we face persecution from the public, when we face persecution in any form, in any means, from anywhere. We need to look at that from the angle, knowing that Jesus promised it, knowing that God uses it to refine us, and that there's a way that we are called to handle it. And our examples are here in the book of Acts. So let's go over some key points from what we've just talked about, because we went through a lot. Christians have always faced persecution. It's never changed. It's not going to change. It's something that we are guaranteed to experience. The apostles, though truthful, were courteous and witnessed to the council. The council wasn't looking for the truth. They were looking for a way to get rid of the apostles and to stop the spread of Christianity. And the apostles didn't pretend to be something they were not. If you, if you notice that, that going through that, that passage, um, there's actually a point where the, the council is amazed that these fishermen have the ability to speak like this. Where in the world do these common men get this ability to stand before the council and to speak with such authority? It's from the Holy Spirit. They're in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in control, and Peter is able to talk the way that God wants him to talk. And in the end, the truth was irrefutable. So that sets our stage for a discussion on power and prayer. We have this example of how the, how the apostles reacted during persecution. Here's how they faced it. Here's what they did. Here's the way they handled the authorities at that time. Now, let's keep that in mind. But then let's look at what it led them to do. Because the very next section that we're going to talk about here is about persecution, prayer, and power. But now it's about prayer and power, specifically. When we move into verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, it tells us what happens when they were released. And the Bible says in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Before we move on to the next verse, I want you to pay attention to this because this is so big. What's the first thing that they did? 
they went to the Lord in prayer. As soon as they found out that they had an obstacle, as soon as they found out that the government was against them, as soon as they found out that they may not be able to go out and minister and do what God has called them to do, the first thing that they did was went to the Lord in prayer. They didn't grumble about it. They didn't start to plot about how they could overthrow the government. They didn't do anything else but go to God in prayer. And when they went to God in prayer, they addressed Him as Sovereign Lord. They acknowledged His, 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 um, His, His creation, knowing that He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And notice that they lifted their voices together. We see an example of unity within the early church. We see an example of the believers coming together and finding their power in Christ and finding their power as believers. It doesn't say, well, three-fourths of them went over here and prayed and another quarter of them went over and started making baskets and the rest of them cleaned the stables. These folks were all of one accord. These folks had one thing in mind and they knew what it was. They were called to preach the gospel. They were called to serve the Lord and they were going to figure out how to do that. Facing this persecution. So they address God, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 25, it says, continues on with the prayer, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And here they quote Psalm Two, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Listen, I want you to notice this, please. These are believers who are familiar with the, what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. These are believers who have enough knowledge that when they give themselves over to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is opening up God's Word to them. Where else would they get this? They, they take their knowledge of, the, of, of Psalm 2, and they look at what has happened around them. And if we continue on reading in verse 27, it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The scriptures opened up to them to where they could see Psalm 2 as a prophecy. And they recognized that what has taken place is everything that God knew was going to take place. So through the power of the Holy Spirit... They begin to pray, and they begin to acknowledge God for who He is, and they begin to say, we know that you spoke through the Holy Spirit to your servant David, and he wrote these words, and we have now seen them come to pass. In verse 29, they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They have 
unified, they have prayed, and they have asked, please, Lord God, give us what we need to do what you've called us to do. Now, what they prayed for is just as important, I should say what they did not pray for is just as important as what they did pray for. They didn't pray that God would somehow remove the council. They didn't pray that God would somehow change the circumstances around them. Instead, they said, we know what you want us to do. We understand that you have promised us that there will be obstacles. And now we come to you, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to give us what we need to do what you've called us to do. And when they did that, the Bible tells us in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, I don't think that we can possibly look to a better example for how to handle a lot of the things that we see facing us today. The early believers here were not any different than you or I. They were believing Christians who knew that they had a responsibility to, to honor the Great Commission and to spread the Word of God throughout the world. And when they were faced with a challenge and when they were faced with, with something that got in their way, a, a wall, if you will, and in this case, it's the government, they just looked at it and said, fine, we see that you're there, but we know that our God has called us to something that we have to do. And we're going to be obedient. And we're going to draw our power from him to do what he has asked us to do. And we find, if we look at some of the key points through the verses we just went through, the first thing that the believers did was pray. They relied on the Holy Spirit to open up God's word and lead them. We talked about what the believers did not pray for is as important as what they did pray for. And I want us to make note that true Christian power comes from our unity with Christ and our willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit. Listen, our power does not lie within anything that we can do personally. We talked this morning, and Jamie, thank you for bringing it up in Sunday school. We talked about the sin of, of vanity, and we talked there about pride, essentially. Because if we're doing it ourselves, then we're doing it to glorify ourselves. We're doing it to edify ourselves and lift ourselves up and make ourselves feel better about what we're doing. Listen, our power does not lie within us in that way. Our power lies within us if we are believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if I can be timely, I want to say our power doesn't lie at the ballot box. Listen, I think it's important for Christians to not fall into the same trap that the early disciples fell into. They were constantly asking Jesus, is the kingdom coming now? Is the kingdom coming now? Will you establish your kingdom now? They were looking for a kingdom on earth that was going to release them from persecution of the Romans and was going to release them into a, a if you will, a, a situation where they were, were going to flourish 
And it was going to be something that they would live in their mortal lives. And Jesus' focus was not on this world. It was on the kingdom that is to come. And we see that same focus here through Peter. And we see that same focus here through the early believers. Because their concern is not changing the government. And I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not, I'm not, don't, don't misread me. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in, in those, those things. Because I think they are important. But what's more important is keeping our focus upon what God has called us to do. And that's to spread the word of God. Because quite honestly, if everybody out there was a believer, it wouldn't matter who we voted for. It wouldn't make any difference at all. All of these things that we complain about, that we hate, that we wish would go away, that we wish which the government would change, it wouldn't be issues. Because the Holy Spirit would be working inside of everyone. And what an incredible world that would be. So staying focused upon what God has called us to do and staying focused upon the growing of the kingdom is what's important. And I don't want that to get lost here. Unity, obedience, and focus on the kingdom. Persecution, prayer, power. When we face, for, face persecution, the first thing we should do is go to the Lord in prayer and realize the power that we have within us that is always there within us if we're a believer in Christ. But I guess that kind of opens the door to where we always go at the end of a message, doesn't it? We always go to a hymn of invitation. We always go to a time of invitation. Listen, the things that we've talked about here today, we've talked about the Holy Spirit so very much. If you are not a believer in Christ, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you've not come to saving grace in Christ, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You may think you do, but it's something that you have to experience to understand. We at the end of every message, we give the opportunity for you to come forward to make a decision for Christ. Listen, the decision happens right where you are. There's nothing that, 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 that you can pray. There's nothing that I can say. It's a matter of the heart. We would love for you to come forward and make that decision known, make it public and tell the church. But it's a personal decision. It's a personal decision. And once you reach that level of saving faith, once you open up your heart to Christ, you never go back. You never go back. Look at what these believers were able to accomplish with the power that they had. It's not an easy walk. Things don't get better. All of your problems don't magically go away. But you have ways to deal with them. You have power to get through them. And it's a wonderful thing to realize the power that we get from being a believer. Dwight Moody once said that he told his, his folks around him, he said, one of these days you're going to read in the paper that D.L. Moody has passed away and is dead. And he said, don't you believe a word of it? Because on that day, I'll be more alive than I am now. If you want to experience that, give your life to Christ.
As the musicians come forward, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for preserving these accounts of persecution, for preserving these accounts of how the early believers turned to you in prayer. Lord, this morning, it's my prayer that decisions will be made in this room. It's my prayer that relationships will be grown and furthered and fostered. And Lord, it's my prayer that these words will stay in our hearts and continue to influence us as planted seeds and that they will grow throughout each and every day that we walk this earth. Lord, just thank you for allowing me to deliver this message this morning. Father, we, uh, we, we pray for those who are, who are having difficulty making a decision for you. Lord, I just pray that your voice will be heard loud and clear during the hymn of invitation and that those decisions will be made. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done, and we look forward to what you'll do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.